Good afternoon, friends, and welcome, everybody. Um, I hope you can hear me. And let us know in the chat box if for some reason someone can't hear. So welcome to this Triangles webinar for Monday, August the 1st, 2022. Um, there are, I see, 124 of us on the call. So let's just have 125. So let's just have a moment of absolute total silence while we sense ourselves as part of one global group. And together, let us say these words. We know, O Lord of life and love, about the need. Touch our hearts anew with love, that we too may love and give. So, my name is Steve Nation. I'm very happy to be your host today. As most of you know, these regular weekly Triangles webinars have two major goals, both of which seek to strengthen the planetary network. The first goal is to introduce new people to Triangles and hopefully stimulate the formation of new Triangles. That's one of the reasons we come together. And the second is to create a space where existing Triangle members can come together to share in a meditative visualization and support of the Triangle's work and to hear reflections and share ideas about world service through the power of thought from different Triangle's workers. Today's broadcast is focusing on the theme, the spiritual context of near-death experience research. We'll begin with some introductory remarks about triangles, followed by some brief thoughts on changing attitudes to death. Then we'll work with the visualization. And this will be followed by a presentation by Robert Cornett, a triangles worker who's a hospice end of life doula. And um, this is going to be a very special, they're all special, but this is going to be a particular interest, I think, this um, Robert's talk. So if you're new to Triangles, welcome. The Triangles Network is made up of individuals around the planet who come from different spiritual backgrounds, sharing a common belief in the powerful role that meditation, prayer, and invocation can play in the creation of a better world. The very name Triangles is significant at many levels. After all, the triangle, the three as one, is one of the most fundamental symbols in all spiritual and esoteric traditions. And the Triangles Network is made up of groups, cells of three people, each of whom agree to Lincoln thought every day, visualizing themselves as a triangle of light and using the great invocation to invoke energies of light and goodwill. Every one of these triangles is part of the global network and the lighted energies of divinity that are invoked by each triangle are visualized as flowing out from the triangle through the network of triangles and into the wide world of human consciousness. 
strengthening everything that is good and true and beautiful in the world. The network's been built up over many decades and we can envisage it as a strong, well-established, potent structure in the etheric or energetic body of humanity. If you're new to this work and respond to the idea of planetary service, you might like to consider forming a triangle. Or if you're already a member of triangles, you might consider forming another. The more people who participate with care and focus, the more spiritual energy will be released into our world. And this is especially true of those treading a spiritual path from any of the great traditions who are developing skills as they do this and work with the lighted loving energies of the soul, or the higher self. If you want to find out more, there's information on the Triangles website, triangles.org, about how you can form a triangle. There's also a section there where you can form a triangle online by entering your details and inviting others to contact you to form a triangle. Or you can request, enter a request in the chat box today and others on the call might well agree to form a triangle with you. It often happens. If you've got questions about triangles, again, don't hesitate to put something into the chat and or ask them in the discussion period at the end of this call. Okay, so let's just pause for a moment for a brief and simple visualization. Visualize yourself as the soul, the divine self, a radiant center of light and love. In your mind's eye, see your closest spiritual companions as also being radiant centers of light and love. Imagine that you are linked together as companions on subtle levels as triangles of light. And imagine that these triangles are part of a network that links all points of light throughout the world. And now imagine lighted, loving energies flowing through this global network of triangles from the mind of God, from the heart of God, and from the center where the will of God is known. Think of the role that these energies play in enlivening all who are treading a spiritual path. Imagine them flowing through small groups of servers everywhere on the planet, out into the broad consciousness of humanity, where we can imagine these energies bringing hope, vision, inspiration, a vital sense of the future, and restoring the love of humanity with its accompanying spirit of companionship and service 
all cultures and peoples, to all kingdoms of nature and all elements of life. Thank you. Gosh, I see we've now grown to be 192 in the group. All working with these vibrant lighted energies. The first three stanzas of the great invocation direct our invocation to those great mysterious sources of energy contained within the divine life. The abundance of radiant transcendent light to be found in the mind of God. That pulsating fiery love that is the heart of God. And that purified purpose that radiates from the center where the will of God is known. The fourth stanza of the invocation calls attention to the human race and the location where these higher energies are working out, transforming, disturbing, breaking up ancient desires and separative ways of understanding what is real, revealing ideas to serve us in every field of life, ideas that lead ultimately to the transformation and evolution of relationships, desires, and life purposes. It's through this process that the plan works out. Today we'll be looking at one of the most significant ideas that's transforming consciousness, culture, and civilization at this time. And this is the idea that the soul is something real. It's a real part of human consciousness, a real part of psychology. And that death involves the passage from a restricted, limited and material awareness and entrance into a fuller measure of consciousness and the return of the identity to the realm of soul. It's difficult to overemphasize the impact that this idea will have and is having as it radiates through the mind and heart of the human. Yet as Robert will demonstrate, this idea is now extremely well anchored in certain pioneering scientific circles through the widely reported studies of near-death experiences. The fear of death has been one of the primary driving forces throughout the age of separation. It reflects the identification with form, which has dominated the internal and social consciousness of Western industrialized and post-industrialized culture. As the incoming energies and ideas about an expansive and inclusive self reach out to more and more thinking people, so will this ancient fear of death lose its sting 
and a newfound ability to work creatively and actively with a greatly enlarged sense of self will take hold. And as Robert will demonstrate, there are clear signs that rather than this being some goal for a long distant future, attitudes to death and to the recognition of the reality of the soul are changing rapidly as a result of research into near-death experiences, as well as other developments. But for now, before we work with Robert, and in a sense, in preparation for the work that we will be doing with Robert, let's work together with a visualization, which is the core ingredient of these weekly webinars. Excuse me. Group fusion. So let us all 200 of us link together as a soul, as a point of love and light. And let us link wider with all those people throughout the world who are working with this Triangles Meditation Group. And let us say together, in the center of the will of God, I stand. Naught shall deflect my will from his. I implement that will by love. I turn towards the field of service. I, the triangle divine, work out that will within the square and serve my fellow men. Visualization. Using the creative imagination, link with two other points of light, two companions, two spiritual companions, to create a triangle of light. Imagine that this triangle is an essential part of the radiant worldwide triangles network.
hold the consciousness immersed within the light of the group soul, the heart of love underlying and infusing the network. Try to see this light of the group soul. And now lift the consciousness to the world teacher standing as the heart of love at the center of the spiritual hierarchy of the planet and standing also at the heart of each triangle. Hold the group mind open and receptive to this inpouring energy of love. And now visualize energies of love, light, and goodwill circulating in, through, and around the triangle's network. And visualize these energies unifying and eliminating all divisions within humanity healing and transforming consciousness and establishing right human relationships. Visualize the whole planet alight with triangles and see new triangles being formed all across the globe.
Now together, let's use the mantram of unification. The souls of all are one, and I am one with them. I seek to love, not hate. I seek to serve and not exact due service. I seek to heal, not hurt. Let pain bring due reward of light and love. Let the soul control the outer form and life and all events and bring to light the love that underlies the happenings of the time. Let vision come and insight. Let the future stand revealed. Let inner union demonstrate and outer cleavages be gone. Let love prevail. Let all people love. Visualize the whole planet alight with triangles. Now sound together the great invocation. As we repeat each stanza, visualize the network acting as a link between the world of spiritual realities and humanity, as a channel through which light and love and divine purpose flow into human consciousness. And so together, from the point of light within the mind of God, let light stream forth into human minds. Let light descend on earth. From the point of love within the heart of God, let love stream forth into human hearts. May the coming one return to earth. From the center where the will of God is known, 
Let purpose guide all little human wills. The purpose which the masters know and serve. From the center, which we call the human race. Let the plan of love and light work out and may it seal the door where evil dwells. Let light and love and power restore the plan on earth. Thank you, friends. So, Robert, are you there? Can you turn on your mic? Yes. Hi, Steve. Beautiful. Hi, Robert. How are you? I'm so it's, it's a great pleasure to introduce Robert. Robert Cornett's been a student of the Ageless Wisdom, of the Alice Bailey materials, of Anthroposophy, and David Spangler's work for the past 40 years. He has a master's degree in the history of religions from Harvard Divinity School, and has studied conceptions of the afterlife across religious traditions and in modern esoteric teachings for many years. Robert works in hospice as an end-of-life doula, supporting the dying and their loved ones during their time of transition from the physical world. So Robert, we're re it's really, I'm very much looking forward to hearing your talk about um, near-death experience research. Do you want to share your screen and then we can begin? Yes. Uh, thank you, Steve. Is, the, is that all set now? My, you can see my slides? Yeah, it looks beautiful. Yep. It's, you're ready to go, sir. Yeah. Thank you, Steve. And hello and blessings to everyone here. I look forward to sharing some thoughts with you on what I see as the spiritual context of near-death experience research in the scientific community coming out of spiritual um, work that's gone on for centuries here. Um, in my work with dying patients as an end-of-life doula, I feel like I serve as kind of a spiritual midwife to the personalities and souls of hospice patients as they cross the threshold of death. Letting go of the physical body is a very difficult act of labor, and I see it with all my patients. I try to provide them comfort, support, and hope as the end of life draws near, 
and to stand by them and with them in the light of their souls as they undertake this journey. Um, throughout time, humanity has sought answers to the question of what happens when we die. Some of these questions are on the screen. Do we survive death? Where will we be? What kind of body might I have? Will we, we be reunited with loved ones? Will our actions in this life be punished or rewarded? Will we have the opportunity after death to make amends or change our ways in, in any way? Throughout history and culture, spiritual teachings have taught that life continues. And in particularly in the Eastern religions, they have provided maps of the terrain of the post-mortem realms. But in modern civilization, under the spell of scientific materialism, we have largely concluded that these beliefs are based on the imagination and have no basis in reality. For the scientific materialist, consciousness does not exist outside the brain and ceases to exist when the brain dies. However, as Steve mentioned, the compelling research into NDEs over the past 50 years has played an important role in challenging this view. It's clear to me that modern science is getting closer to understanding and acknowledging the proof and reality of the afterlife and the soul as the, as the Tibetan teacher Alice Bailey predicted almost 80 years ago. Here's a quote from the Tibetan. This is our present, this our present cycle is the end of the age and the next 200 years will see the abolition of death as we now understand that great transition and the establishing of the soul's existence. He made this prophecy in 1936 and further mentioned in his writings and teachings that soon there would be scientific proof of the persistence of existence after bodily death. Rudolf Steiner also had similar views and predictions that the veil was thinning and we would soon, humanity as a whole, would be developing powers of perception of the spiritual realms. I place the work of NDEs now in the 21st century back in a historical spiritual context, starting with an outpouring of the Christ consciousness and the second ray of love wisdom initiated at the conclave in 1825 of the spiritual guides of the race. And I feel that that was one of the beginnings of a great spiritual awakening, especially in the West, in the US and in Europe in the 19th century. We saw this in the spiritualist movement, transcendentalism, theosophy, the emergence of major social welfare, labor and humanitarian groups, utopian communities, all under the force of the second ray of love wisdom and all bringing a spiritual perspective. Transcendentalists uh, followed the Upanishads and were, were uh, talking about the oversoul back in the mid 1800s. Uh, the spiritualist movement had as many as 8 million people in the US and Europe by the end of the 19th century. And many utopian communities such as the Shakers and the Oneida group, uh, Christian scientists, Mormons, New Thought Movement, all practiced various forms of communitarian social organization and spirituality. 
The Society for Psychical Research was one of the first scientific groups to study life after death. They were established in 1882 and were dedicated to studying paranormal experiences, including telepathy and postmortem survival. They did expose fraud in their time, but they also found evidence for the existence of the soul and their survival of the personality after death. One of their founders, Frederick Myers, published his findings in a book titled Human Personality and the Soul and its Survival After Bodily Death. He published that in 1903. 25 years after his death, he communicated his experience of life after death to Geraldine Cummins through automatic writing, and these were published in her book, The Road to Immortality. I think these new spiritual impulses back in the 19th century planted the seeds that continue into our present time and were forerunners of the emergence of another great spiritual awakening, awakening in the last quarter of the 20th century. And this is when the NDE, NDE research started to happen. When I use the word NDE, I'm talking about near-death experiences just to um, not repeat that word over and over again. Many people know Raymond Moody's work in the 1970s. He was the first to identify and document near-death experiences. And he wrote about this in his best-selling book, Life After Life. Raymond Moody documented over a thousand accounts of near-death experiences in those early years. And over the past 50 years, several other serious scientific researchers have continued his work and have undertaken rigorous multi-year scientific studies published in respected journals. And I'll just mention a few here, but there are many, many more doing this work today. I feel that they are a seed group of world servers contributing to the scientific proof of the soul. One of those is Kenneth Ring, who's retired now, but at the University of Connecticut, he confirmed many of Moody's findings. He did a particular study of blind people who had experienced near-death experiences, and he described this as mind sight, a state of transcendent awareness that can perceive in detail from multiple angles at once. He also found that many NDEers undergoing spiritual awakening do undergo a spiritual awakening during the process. After they come back from their experience, they have a tendency to characterize themselves as spiritual rather than just religious. They tend to have a feeling of being inwardly close to God or the divine. They show a conviction that there is life after death, regardless of their religious beliefs. And they tend to have an openness to the doctrine of reincarnation. Another recent uh, scientist who wrote about near death, his own near-death experience is Evan Alexander. He's an American neurosurgeon. His book is very popular right now called Proof of Heaven, A Neurosurgeon's Journey into the Afterlife. He described his own near-death experience that happened in 2008 under medically induced coma when he was being treated for meningitis. He asserts that the coma resulted in brain death. However, he was able to experience his near-death experience through his consciousness, and there was no scientific explanation of that. And he, he described how this experience changed his own ex perceptions of life in the afterlife. 
He was a scientific materialist. He did, did not believe that consciousness existed outside of the brain. And now his view has significantly changed. He believes there is a revolutionary shift now underway within the scientific community's understanding of the nature of reality. And he's playing a leading role in, in that work. Bruce Grayson is the director of, of the Division of Perceptual Studies at the University of Virginia. His research for the past three decades has focused on the after effects of near-death experiences, and it was recently summarized in his book called After, A Skeptical Scientist's Journey to Understand Life, Death, and Beyond. I believe um, Michael's going to post some of these references on the chat so you can, you can have access to them. Gregory Shushin in the UK is a really fascinating scholar. He's an authority on near-death experiences and the afterlife across cultures and throughout history. So he's gone back in time and he's uncovered through old texts, descriptions of near-death experiences in indigenous cultures uh, through in Africa, North America, and Oceania. He's found texts in ancient Egypt and Greece and Rome, Japan, and China that correspond to modern near-death experience research. Fascinating work in, that he is undertaking right now. And Peter Fenwick in the UK and Pim van Lommel is based in the Netherlands. They have tended to study heart attack patients who had been clinically dead for five to 10 minutes. And they found that 20% of them had aspects of near-death experiences described by Raymond Moody and others. The International Association of Near-Death Studies was established in 1978 by Dr. Grayson, Kenneth Ring, and Michael Sabom to support those doing research and, and also those who have had near-death experiences. They have a scholarly journal, they hold conferences, and they maintain an archive of hundreds of near-death experiences, case histories, which you can uh, go to on their website. I'm just gonna take a minute or two to go through what they have found in the research. These are some of the most common characteristics um, that all these researchers have, have found. Most people do not experience all of these characteristics, but they do experience usually two or three of them. Often there's a sense of separation from the physical body. This includes a sense of floating or flying. During brain surgery, a woman reported, I saw myself pop out of my body and I was floating and hovering over the operating table. Watching the scene below, I could see everything the doctors were doing very clearly, even though my eyes were taped shut and I was heavily sedated. Another person reported this, I began to fly. Gravity had no effect on me. Flying was natural and effortless sort of like swimming underwater, but in an ocean of brilliant white light. Some experience a sense of peace and even painless in the, painlessness, even in the midst of physical crises. A woman who was having emergency surgery during childbirth suffered a heart attack during the procedure. She reported this, I was having cardiac arrest but amazingly, instead of being terrified, I'm watching this catastrophe from a place of extraordinary calm. Even as I realized I was dying, 
the stillness in my chest expanded and I could feel a current of energy drawing me inside. I felt expanded, perfectly calm, totally free. Most people have heard of passing through the tunnel or, or it can be just a dark passage of some sort. One person described it as, at the moment I died, I felt myself being sucked into a narrow tube at a tremendous speed. I felt like I was whizzing past galaxies, but the colors and lights were right next to me, almost brushing against me. Many people experience a sense of an encounter with a spiritual entity of some sort. It could be deceased family or friends or angelic beings or religious personages. These people often, or these beings often appear to be enveloped in light. One person reported being greeted by angels. I was propelled upward. The further up I went, the brighter the light became. Two angels appeared, one on either side of me, and we slowly drifted to the corner of the ceiling. We communicated through mental telepathy. They told me they were escort angels and had come to take me home. And there's also a sense of an encounter with a being of light that emanates unconditional love. It can be a religious figure, or it simply can be a being of light. Dr. George Ritchie was one of the first people that Raymond Moody talked to um, who had had a near-death experience. He was actually a professor of his in medical school. Dr. Ritchie described an encounter with Christ during his near-death experience. Suddenly, a being of tremendous light and love appeared before me. This light is like a million lamps all blazing at once. Human eyes would be destroyed in a second if they saw it. I realized I was standing in the presence of Christ, who was emanating an unbelievable amount of unconditional love, a love that knew everything about me. He took me on a journey through different realms in the afterlife. I believe these and many other NDE stories where Christ appears confirms what Re Rudolf Steiner had said, that in the near future, human consciousness would begin to awaken to a supersensible perception of the being of Christ in the etheric realm. And there also may be a total life review, a sense of self-judgment about one's life, but being bathed in unconditional love of a being of light. In Betty Eady's book, Embraced by the Light, she tells how she encountered Christ and was led into a building where a council of elders watches her life review with her. She said, my life appeared me in the form of what might, we might consider extremely well-defined holograms, but at tremendous speed. I not only re-experienced my own emotions at each moment, but also what others around me had felt. I experienced their thoughts and feelings about me I saw the disappointment that I had caused others, and I cringed as their feelings of disappointment filled me. I understood all the suffering I had caused, and I felt it. Then I felt the love of the council come over me. They watched my life with understanding.
understanding and mercy. And I realized that the council was not judging me. I was judging myself. Their love and mercy was absolute. I believe the daily evening review exercise that many are doing can be a powerful preparation for the experience of the life review at death, which can be overwhelming to experience what other people feel when they are encountering um, perhaps your anger or negative feelings. And then there can be a reluctance to return to the world of living. Many people just return not wanting to go back to their bodies and the challenges of living on earth compared to the love and ecstatic joy that they had during their NDE. And lastly, there is often a sense of altered sense of space and time. Time seems to go faster or slower. Everything seems to be happening at once. Space seems to be endless or infinite. They can think something and or of someone or someplace and be immediately there. Many describe their NDEs as life-changing. They become more kind and loving and they feel a new sense of purpose and meaning. Some develop psychic abilities, including clairvoyance, hearing other people's thoughts, telepathy, premonitions, and kundalini experiences. But also some have very hard time integrating the experience into their lives and develop psychological problems, addiction or attempted suicide so that they can return back to the place where they experienced pure joy and love. It's not always an easy time coming back from a near-death experience. Many have not told about their experiences for years or decades because of the fear of being thought to be crazy. Raymond Moody's work uh, opened the door for a lot of people who had near-death experiences and were afraid to talk about them. I should also note that even though there tends to be, this tends to be more rare, there are negative or hellish experiences during some SD, S NDEs. In some studies, 15% of the people who report NDEs report having a frightful, painful, or hellish experience of some kind. So I want to talk briefly about something that's not as well known as the near-death experience, and that is shared death experience. Raymond Moody was one of the first to find the whole concept of shared death experience. He came across several cases of family members and medical staff gathered at the bedside of the dying who had experiences very similar to NDEs, including a sense of rising out of their bodies, a sense of seeing the person's spirit beside them, or of seeing lost loved ones arriving to greet the spirit of the departed person, and all of them being drawn back into the light. After these experiences, they have a sense of having empathically experienced the passing of their loved one's spirit to a place of light. Dr. Moody published this in his book, Glimpses of Eternity, sharing a loved one's passage from this life to the next. He published that in 2009. William Peters is continuing that work. He specializes in shared death experience and established 
an organization called the Shared Crossings Project to research and collect shared death experiences and educate people about them. William worked in a hospice and he experienced multiple SDEs himself with hospice patients as a clinical social worker. So far, he's documented over 800 cases of shared death experiences. He found that there are four ways to participate in a shared death experience. They can be uh, sensed remotely. They could be in a totally different place and sense that a death has taken place. Or they can witness an unusual phenomenon, such as the room being filled with light when, with them, when they're with a dying person. Or they can see their body, uh, the patient leaving their body. Another, another way is to accompany the dying as they leave their body and experiencing what they experience which is often similar to what NDE experiences. Some shared death experience have actually relived the life review of their loved one, which was kind of intimidating. Um, and sometimes they experience actually assisting the dying person in transitioning. There was a Vietnam soldier who actually did this in Vietnam and was assisting dying soldiers on the battlefield separate from their body and transition towards the light. This is a brief summary of the common experiences that you find in shared death experiences. And uh, make sure I still have time here. Yeah, I'll just try to go through this briefly. Often there's appearance of a vision of a presence or a spirit of the dying person. Let me just find my place here. <laughs> um, so this could be seeing, seeing their actual physical form appear in their mind's eye or having a strong sense of the physical presence of their spirit. Or they might have a sense of profound knowing of a greater reality or universal truth. They may encounter non-living beings, deceased relatives or friends, even deceased pets. Many have recognizable physical appearances and a sense of concentrated energy or light. Often they see a bright illuminating light significantly different from sunlight or artificial light with no identifiable point of origin. There's an alteration of space and time Time appears to stop or slow, just as in the NDE experiences. Or they can see the spirit leave the body, often described as a visible essence ex exiting the physical body, like mist or smoke. The Dalai Lama has spoken of uh, departing spirits as a, a mist of blue smoke. There can be a sense of reaching a boundary that they cannot be crossed. And then the shared death experience stops as the loved one moves on into the light. A real sense of overpowering emotions, a sense actually of the physical sensations of dying sometimes. So I'll stop there, Steve. And um, before we close, we can see if there are any questions. I think I'll, I'll just quote the Tibetan account again, where he said, Doubt as to the fact of immortality will be solved before long as a result of scientific investigation. 
Certain scientists will accept the hypothesis of immortality as a working basis. The fact of the persistence of existence will have advanced out of the realm of questioning and into the realm of certainty. There will be no question that the discarding of the physical body will leave a man still conscious, living and a conscious living entity alive, awake, and aware. Wow, thank you, Robert. That's, um, gosh, that's a lot to think about in that talk. Um, just to remind everybody that in the chat, um, if you save the chat, you'll find all the references of Robert's um, references to so much research you've cited. So this is a time, look, there's so much there. I'm sure that there'll be a lot of people. I see there's already a hand raised from Nisa. Nisa, Nisa. Would you like to um, unmute yourself? Nisa B, can you unmute? Thank you. I, I must have hit it in error. I'm sorry. Okay. No, 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 that's no problem at all. Okay. Thank you. The, so, um, one thing, um, we'll go to the chat in a moment. I wondered, Robert, I'm intrigued the fact that you're working as a doula and how this research must be transforming the way in which you do that work because it provides a whole field of understanding that is so with so many concrete experiences that must be such help in terms of working with someone who's dying and sensing some stories that might be helpful for them yeah i find it i find it helpful there are some patients um, that really have no tolerance for that kind of information. But some of my patients do, um, even if they don't have any strong afterlife beliefs. So I have found it helpful to them just to uh, describe a few near-death experiences to them uh, or an outline of the literature. Um, uh, the International Association of Near-Death Studies also has provided really helpful information uh, for hospice workers and medical workers on how they can support people who have near-death experiences um, if, if they can cross that with their patients. So often I can bring that with me into the work that I do. Uh, but often it's just uh, letting them know that this is what some people experience and it may be possible for you to experience that. And, and many people have told me that that does give them a sense of hope that they might not otherwise have had. I can, I can really imagine that. The, do other um, sort of in the community of doulas that you've worked with and trained with and so on, is the near-death experience quite a major part of their thinking and their um, I think it's slowly kind of fitting in. I'm hoping to bring more of that to the group of doulas that I work with. Um, and um, but I think more more needs to be done. Um, most doulas that I've been connected with across the the country um, through this network of of doulas um, are very loving, kind, spiritual person people, and they they do tend to have a spiritual perspective. Um, and um, so I think they're they're open to it, um, and, and they're also open and very respectful that some people will not uh, 
want to have that as part of their their final experience right it, it also because it i mean inevitably listening to what you're saying those of you who are working in that field including doctors nurses and everyone will be starting to move into the shared death experience um, process whether they like it or not right right um, yeah William Peterson's doing some incredible work with that because he's actually training people um, to almost have a shared death experience. He's, he's, he, he does workshops where he kind of helps bring them through guided visualization into a, 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 a prototypical experience of, of that so that they can be prepared when they're with people who are dying to um, uh, just to be aware of it, to be um, attentive, to be psychically attuned. Heather, Heather comments in the chat that she had a near-death experience just prior to the birth of her son and says, I now know I had a shared death experience also when someone I cared for was dying and this was such a privilege. Yeah, yes, that's true. Heather, I think many people who have near-death experiences begin uh, to have... Uh, super sensible perception as steiner would call it they begin to see things that they might not have seen in, before that and and kathleen because this is a, now this to me is very interesting kathleen hautala i hope i've got your name your pronunciation right kathleen thank you robert so interesting i had no idea about the shared death experience which i was blessed to share with my husband when he died because i imagine that that's quite a wide that sense of when someone who you're so close to particularly with deeper people that that is not an uncommon experience yes yeah I, I think there's um there's I think what William Peter is, is finding is that many people have this experience and they've just been reluctant to talk about it because not many people in their cir close circle of family and friends um have have an ability to uh, accept that as real VN, who worked with Douglas Baker, um, who did work, astral work with people who'd passed over. Um, and she notes that Douglas Baker commented that a number of people who'd passed over reported they didn't know they died. Yeah. Which I imagine is. I think upset. that is common. And in the, in the spiritualist literature, you see a lot of that. And um, it's kind of unfortunate that. Um, they they tend it takes them time to find out actually where they are and what's happened right. um, uh, because they've had no preparation i i think exactly well it sort of makes sense because the the, the this sort of thought form of what life is is so strong that it's almost impossible to break out of it you can imagine for many people yeah. Yeah, definitely, especially with uh, on in the astral vehicle. Yeah, Kit Kit asks, when in the dying process are you as a doula called in? Um, it varies by patient, but uh, most hospice patients are um, accepted into hospice with a, a diagnosis of six year six months. So we're usually brought in right around that time if. Um, unless they're brought into hospice later than that. But uh, in addition to the final days and helping them through the final days of their life, uh, other things that doulas are involved with is, is helping them review their life, um, uh, to do legacy work, to think about what their purpose in life was, 
what was important to them and what do they what unfinished business that they have so we try to do that work in a few months prior if the person is capable of having those conversations as well uh, do, do all hospices use doulas or, or just some hospices yeah some hospices are not doing that at this point they have not um uh open to the idea so um so it's it's coming along but there's a lot of work um the hospice that i work in is very supportive they actually provide specialized training for doulas mm. and uh they make us feel as an integral part of the of the hospice team so it's, it's been very rewarding gosh you know you can imagine you know how the tibetan writes about c groups yeah um in different fields so you can imagine how closely really the ashram is working with these groups who are dealing with this this process of the revelation about death um in a way that's what when i hear you talk that's what i'm hearing i'm hearing um like this incredible presence of the ashram in a growing group of people who are building real human experience of what this transition is yes i agree i agree steve the, the amount of research is incredible and um it, it's very hard to refute right <laughs> but uh right. But, but it's still being refuted but uh i think 100 years from now actually we'll be going beyond this i feel near-death experiences is just a glimpse into um the post-mortem realm right. and you know as the as a tibetan buddhism knows very well there is a much more expanded reality going on multi-dimensional reality going on beyond uh that initial glimpse of the afterlife right. people are having. Right. that's why intercultural this whole focus on intercultural understanding is so important because really the this western approach to death is purely a western approach so particularly if you look at tibetan buddhism but also other eastern traditions have a whole map that is sort of just widespread mass understanding of what death is which western mind doesn't have the um clint writes he of having a vision of a person who passed over on the day of her funeral and that some of the people experienced in relation uh, and experiencing angels of a brilliant light and an upward movement Mm. yeah i can read one other um, case i didn't get to this was a shared death experience of a man who was sitting vigil in a hospital room in the dark with his father who was dying and he woke up in the middle of the night he said when i awoke the room was pitch dark but above dad's bed was a flame licking the top of the wall against the ceiling <laughs> As I looked, I saw a plume of smoke rising, like the vapor that rises from a snuffed out candle, but on a bigger scale. It was being the, the it was being the thrown off by a single blade of phosphorus light. It hung above dad's bed about 18 inches or so long. It was incredibly beautiful. It seemed to express perfect love and peace. Wow. That's beautiful. Look, um, Robert, I see there's a number of hands raised. I've been focusing on the chats and I'd forgotten about the raised hands. So I'm going to go through them. Um, we're going a little bit over time, but I think 
we still have 156 people and the, the, there's such interest here that if you, is, is it okay with you if we just keep on going for a little bit of little time? Sure, I, I'm fine with that. I, I'm sorry to take up so much of it. No, 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 it, it, it is good. Um, okay, so I'm going to start at the top of the list as I've got it. So Barbara, would you um, like to um, unmute yourself, please? Okay, can you hear me? Yes. Thank you, Robert. That was such a fantastic presentation and so much to think about. And I think this is a topic that we really should be talking about and thinking about and contemplating a lot more than we do. Mm -hmm. um, but I was also reminded of this um, phrase that Tibetan uses, and I was recently reading the book, um, Death, the Great Adventure, where he says, there will be more joy at the bedside of the dying person than there are today at weddings and births. Mm. And that the picture of that is just so joyful and so ecstatic. It's, <laughs> it's just hilarious. It's lovely. And I then thank you for talking about um, the shared death experiences, because I realized I had one with my mother when she died. Ah. Um, I, she, I, and I know it would happen. So, it, it, but there wasn't a name for it. And so I think that's probably, as you say, much more common than we know. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's powerful. It's powerful. Yeah. I think um, everyone should read Death, the Great Adventure. It's a very powerful book. All of his teachings about death are summarized. And um, for myself personally, there are things in there that I want to implement in my final days. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Th thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Barbara. The um, uh, um, Ellie, if you unmute, and while you're unmuting, um, Robert, would, there's an interesting question that Patricia asks um, on the chat. What is the network of doulas? Perhaps if there's a website or something, you might put it into the chat. Yeah, there's several, but the um, INELDA, International um, uh, Association of Near-Death, uh, I'm sorry, I'm, inter, uh, International End-of-Life Doulas, INELDA. I'll, um, I'll try to put that in the chat. Okay, thank you. I think that would be useful. People would be interested. Ellie, are you, are you with us? Yes, I am. Hi, can well, you? Well, hi. Hi. So I lost my husband 22 years ago and was with him when he died. But three months after he passed, I sort of serendipitously went into a trance and did automatic writing for an hour. And it was him. And I also had the experience um, referred through a, a friend who works with people on psychic healing very successfully, I'll say. Um, that uh, referred me to a Russian channel in New York City, who, who about a month after my husband died, channeled him and my grandmother decided to step in at the, in the same session. And both of them were definitely my people. And um, I wanted to also comment too that um, the uh, Jane Roberts body of work from Seth has a lot of interesting things to, uh, I mean, very lengthy discussions about multidimensionality and what exists. But one of the fascinating things for me is that he describes that a human being will, uh, upon passing, meet what they expect 
initially. So if you expect to meet the Christ or the Buddha or any of the pantheon of uh, religious uh, figures, you will at first, and you will be assigned helpers who will eventually, um, in brackets, sit you or quotes, sit you down and explain things. <laughs> so if you expect hell, it, you'll encounter it initially. If you expect heaven, you'll encounter that. But um, in closing, my favorite quote of, from the Tibetan, and I use this as comfort to um, many people around me as life proceeds and we get older and, and uh, more people that we know pass on is, um, as you know, there is no death. There is only entrance into fuller life. And what a great discussion. And I hope we do more of this. Thank you so much. Thanks, Ellie. That was that was great. I, I can't add to that. That was terrific. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Ellie. Um, so what, we have one more hand raised. Um, and then there are some things that I think we need to address in the chat. Um, Violet, can you unmute yourself, please? Yes. Uh... I also, I also worked in hospice when I lived in Michigan and uh, when we moved to Toronto too. And my experiences with working with people in that uh, category was, was wonderful. However, my experiences with death was in the family and a friend of mine who passed away, uh, this is years ago, he it's like a dream, but one of these dreams that's real, you know, you know, it's it's active. And, and uh, anyway, he said, I've met your family. And he showed me a sepia a print of the, uh, the old brownie cameras. And in front of the house that I was raised in, all of the family who had passed away were in this picture. And the, the last one, which was a recent death, uh, was also in the picture. And they all looked within, I would say, 40, 45 age bracket. And then the other experience I had was when my mother passed away. She died in my arms and I took care of her in home. And uh, when she died, it was the second night that I was just settling into sleep. And she was reaching for me and calling my name. And I could actually feel her hands penetrating my etheric body. Mm. And then when my husband passed away, and this was uh, about four years ago, he had dementia because he had radiation on the brain from the cancer that he had. And then I had another dream but again, like I said, it, it, was, it was very realistic. I'm sitting on the side of his bed, and this is after he passed away. And he died, incidentally, in, in, in hospice. And uh, I was able to stay there. They have a beautiful hospice here in Windsor, where I'm living now. And uh, I'm sitting on the side of the bed, and he's starting to wake up. And I said, he's waking up. And I got up from the bed and I moved. And then this other person, woman said, oh, he's waking up. And she came and sat and at, the, at the side of his bed. And uh, I stood back and 
so he wouldn't see me. So I think that's a psychological, um, they were working with him because he had dementia and he had to go through that stage. And when I looked at this, this woman that sat in the bed, her hair was black and curly. And I said, oh my gosh, that's my godmother, my Aunt Frances. And she just loved my husband. But that's just, a, 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 I don't want to take up any of your time, but these are experiences that I had uh, and then my sister passed away and, and I was with her just a couple of hours before she slipped away. And I said, you let me know how you're doing. And she did. She, she came to me and brought me a box and I was to open that box. And anyway, this was her communication that she was there. So this is just some of my experiences that I thought to share with the group today. Thank you. It's a wonderful conversation. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Violet. I, I work with some patients, hospice patients with dementia, which is quite a challenge. Um, but there's uh, one I'm working with who um, is very, can understand what I say very clearly, but cannot respond back. Uh, the words just aren't there. But she responds very well to guided visualization. Yes, so I've been doing that with her and uh, just to help her, in a sense, practice letting go mm -hmm. and practice imagining a space of light and love and beauty surrounding her. And uh, yes, that seems to be very helpful to her at this. Well, point. I met one woman in hospice here in Windsor while I was there with my husband and this one woman, no one in the family wanted to talk about death. And so I met her in the hall with her sister, said, can you help help her? Because I had worked over years with visualization and I worked with children. And anyway, I talked to her. I said, do you like flowers? She said, oh, I love flowers. And so I said, why don't you create a garden? I said, and you go to that space. And I said, plant all of your beautiful flowers that you have in your garden, put them in your imagination, create this garden and go there. Every time you feel anxious, you feel, you know, that you need some peace and, and light. And uh, her sister just thanked me and said her, she followed through on that. So visualization is an excellent means to work with hospice patients if you have the opportunity to communicate with them in that way. That's great. That's beautiful. Wonderful. Thank you, Violet. That's really wonderful. We're, we're moving on. Look, there's a couple of um, couple of people have asked, uh, again, how, how can I learn to be a doula? Where can I find training? Um, Robert, have you got a quick, because I see you have posted in the name of the Enelda Association of End-of-Life Doulas, which presumably anybody could research and maybe yeah. get some information from there. But Robert, have you anything else to add? Um, another group that's um, doing a lot of work is the University of Vermont has a end of life doula training program as well. Um, and what's amazing is this is a new field that's emerged in about the past seven or eight years. And now there's hundreds of people signing up for these classes. There's this kind of sole need that people have to be with people at this time and to support them. So it's kind of beautiful to see. But University of Vermont, Inelda, and I think if you just Google 
uh, end of life doula, you'll find like three or four groups that are also doing this. It yeah. tends to be more in the US now. It's not as um, happening as much in Europe at the time, at this time. Right. Um, and just, I'm just going to, it's a very interesting chat room, but there's one that I thought was an interesting question. I'd be interested to hear what you think, Robert. Um, Lois asks, um, thanks you, and um, says, why does it matter if the scientific and medical community in the future accept these concepts as real? interesting question mm. well i think uh just seeing face-to-face -face hospice and seeing the impact that doctors and nurses have every day with my patients um and also reading the stories of near-death experiences who who have had doctors tell them um you know be quiet don't tell me about this it's not uh it's you know this is not happening this is a hallucination you need to just forget that you know forget that this happened because you know this could not have happened basically and and that happens a lot and um a lot of people have run into issues with well i've had a near-death experience and i i have no one to talk to about it mm. um and uh their lives become pretty difficult um as a result of a really beautiful experience so i think it's important the scientific community starts to change and um and for, for many other reasons not just for this you can right. look at any area of science and say there's so much we're missing there's so much we don't know about um the reality of of of, of the planet and of the world that we live in and, and and like another thought to that also is that science represents the biggest intensity of focused thought on almost every issue there is in humanity the tens of thousands of people who are their whole life is studying particular issues so the transformation of consciousness the scientific community actually has a terrifically important role to play because as this terrific intensity of knowledge breaks through into a new consciousness that will be almost the sign and a sign of the radical shift in culture um, and will have an enormous effect and impact on the, on the whole of the culture in which we're living, I think. So I think, look, it's now, it's 20 past four here in New York, um, where you are, Robert and where we are from this, this triangle's presentation. So I think we need to bring this to a close. Thank you so much, Robert. That was really wonderful. And thank you, everybody. Um, we've still got 100 and, over 120, um, and we're way over time. So it shows the interest in this subject. Um, and it also shows the incredible potency in this esoteric vision that as we move forward over the next hundred years, thinking about death will radically change. And this is a sign that this is happening. And we're living right at the time when these transformations are occurring. We are so fortunate to be alive now at this time. So thank you, Robert. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody. And we look forward to seeing you and hearing from you next week on the next Triangles webinar. Thank you very much.